Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Comedian, raconteur and all-round good guy Ben Elwood is back as we continue our deep dive into the work of Sophia Coppola. This time we're talking about the movie The Bling Ring. My name is Justin Hamilton and I want you to know your butt looks awesome here on Big Squid. joining us today as we continue this really fun study of Sophia Coppola's movies. I can't tell you how rapt I am that we chose her work to go over. I've loved every second of it and I've found a real new desire to just know everything about her movies. Like I really love them. It's it's fun when you go from liking some work to being a proper fan. And uh, I think the movies have maybe been a little bit hit and miss for Ben. I think when he likes a movie, he loves it. But there's been a couple that have left him cold. And I reckon you'll enjoy this discussion we have today. But from my perspective, this has been a winning choice. And I've just been wrapped. It's been fun to go back over the movies that you know and see them in a different light because you're comparing them to the other movies, you're comparing them to the oeuvre, and you are coming at them with a little bit more life experience and a little bit knowledge, so you kind of enjoy them in a in a different way, you appreciate them in a different way, and then the ones that I did not know have, for me, just all been fantastic. So this has been great, and thank you for being a part of it. Just so you know, in the next couple of weeks, we have the live show ready to upload There were just a few glitches with it, and uh, my man, Sean Allen, has fixed it. He's sorted it out. He's got much better skills than me, so that'll be ready to go. I reckon that will go up next week, and then we have Ange Lafoypierre returning for a really interesting chat. I really like Ange. She's a she's a new friend, and it's it's been a really good one too. Uh, so she's back, and we've already recorded our podcast for The Beguiled, 
which means we're getting closer toward the end of this Copla Fest. If you'd like to let us know what you might like us to cover, I'm not saying we will cover it, but it's good to have suggestions thrown out there. Come over to our private Facebook page, uh, Big Squid with Justin Hamilton, and you can join in on the thread there. I mean, some really good suggestions. And, uh, you know, I'm still not quite certain where we're going to go. I had an idea today, and should I tell you? Like, let me, you know what, give me another week. Give me another week, and maybe I'll throw it out there to you. But yeah, we have so many ideas. I think that's the thing. We have so many ideas where we'd like to go. And, you know, what do you do? There's just not enough hours in the day. Uh, So anyway, you can come and join the private Facebook page. Or if you just want to keep up with staff, there's the regular Facebook page as well. That's where I put the uh, links up, etc. So if you just want to know that, that's fine too. A quick reminder, if you'd like some extra content, you can go over to my website, justinhamilton.com.au. It has blogs. It has short stories. Uh, The short stories, they're very short. They're written and designed to be enjoyed while you're, I don't know, catching public transport or while you're waiting for someone at a cafe. Anyway, there's blogs and short stories for your enjoyment. I have a new short story that I've been working on for the last few months. We're going to do something exciting with that for you, but more about that later. Let's get the party started. We're heading to Paris's house to do some robin. It is time for the bling ring. Girls, time for your Adderall. You know. My homie Mark. Hey. Hi, I'm Nikita. This is Sam. Hi. Oh my God, that's Paris Hilton. It's Kirsten Dunst. I just think we wanted to be a part of, like, the lifestyle. The lifestyle that everybody kind of wants. Hey, I can be the answer. I'm ready to dance when the vampire... Paris Hilton's hosting a party in Vegas tonight. Where does she live? Do you think we could find a way in? I, I don't know. Come on, let's go to Paris's. I want to rob. I was in a two-on-two on the uptown. Awesome. Oh, my God. That's a cute dress. Did you get a new dress? Mm-hmm. We had so many beautiful things. Ladies? He looks hot. I hear helicopters. We're in LA. Don't be such a little bitch. You're stressing me out. Oh my god. Are they gone? Police are investigating the connection of the Hollywood Hills burglaries. America has this sick fascination with a Bonnie and Clyde kind of thing. It all comes back to like bad choices. Who you have is your friend. Can't take her dog. But he likes me. I'm a firm believer in karma. And I think this situation is a huge learning lesson for me to grow and expand as a spiritual human being. I want to lead a country one day for all I know. Did you speak to any of the victims? I've spoken to all the victims. Really? What did Lindsay say? For everyone listening, Ben broke a cardinal sin of this podcast. Well, it's not really a cardinal sin. It's not actually a cardinal sin at all. But he already told me what he thought of the movie oh, in one I'm sentence. Sorry. No, that's okay. You don't have to apologise. It was funny. <laughs> but it kind of makes my opening question a little bit what Ev's no big oops. But yeah. uh, so I'll just ask it anyway because yeah. I know where this is going. <laughs> FYI, Ben hated it. I really enjoyed it. Okay. <laughs> Thank goodness.
goodness, right? Yeah, I'm glad we're going to yeah. have we're going to have a discussion. It's not just going to be two guys gushing or two guys railing. Yeah. yeah, and like to be honest, if you said to me, "There's going to be one of the movies that I really dislike," out of the co- out of the couple of movies, out of the ones yeah. we've watched so far, yeah. I would have been genuinely disappointed if it was somewhere. A hundred percent. Well, somewhere's about us. (laughs) (laughs) Just when you thought that we're really at one with the universe, it's just two white guys talking about themselves. (laughs) Oh, shit. I have been trying to explain to people how funny that film is. And it is, it's like... It's like when I sell The Leftovers to someone who's never seen it before. When I tell them the premise of the series, that 2% of the world's population disappears, and that at some point there is uh, footage of all the famous people, and I say Gary Busey, and if they just laugh at the name Gary Busey, (laughs) I know they'll get the sense of humour of that TV show. And if they just look at me as if to say either ah or who, I think... This is not for you. Yeah, right. And with uh, Somewhere, I explain the opening of the pole dancers with uh, Foo Fighters playing and then the scene of him having a road to Damascus moment and then cutting straight to another pole dancing scene (laughs) and how funny that is. And if they look at me and they go, I don't know how I feel about pole dancing, you go, it's not for you. Don't worry about it. No, okay. No, no. Well, this is going to be – this is actually, all jokes aside, this is genuinely fun and I have to be honest, I am not surprised by your response and I've had to – anyway. I'm looking for, I'm looking forward to you giving me something about this movie that I can reassess it with, as you did with, uh, with Marie Antoinette. Marie Antoinette, yeah. Um, and look, I didn't hate the movie, but it just didn't – Well, funnily enough, this to me – the reason I'm not surprised mm. is I felt like mm. – this could be uh, a, like a, a sequel to Marie Antoinette in some ways. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. even, you know, you, instead of looking at cakes, you're looking at bling, you know. Yeah. it's Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so before I began the film, I had to deal with my own prejudice. Mm-hmm. And that is I have no fucking interest in anyone who comes from money. It's yes. ruined comedians for me. Like there is a famous comedian who I used to really love their work and then I heard that they were really rich and I suddenly went, ah, oh, you know, <laughs> all, all of this posturing and stance is yeah. like, of course you can do that because <laughs> you've, you've got a fucking safety net, you asshole, <laughs> and then it's your bank balance. It's like when I see a really handsome comedian. It's like, oh, come on, mate. This was not a survival mechanism for you. You didn't need to laugh your way out of a bad situation or to get girls. This is fucking, this is a lie. Yeah. You know what? Let's just talk about how comedy became fucked once guys (laughs) became handsome. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, But I did come around. I did come around to this story. And I'm curious because I now know, I'm just going to change this question a little bit. Now that I know that it wasn't for you. What was the thing that as an overview just didn't resonate. Um, look, I'm going to totally contradict what I said last week about <laughs> cinema is an empathy machine. Yeah. And that, you know, uh, the great thing about movies are that we can spend time with people that we are not. Yes. And I still believe that. Uh, and uh, these are not people that I want to spend time with. These are people yeah. that I would cross the road to avoid. Yeah. I had a similar thing uh, with this movie that I had with Spring Breakers. You've seen that? Well, no, I haven't, but it's funny because... Uh, part of the criticism that this movie received was, you know, purely in that Hollywood 
machine making mm. scenario, mm. Spring Breakers came out roughly around the same time, even right. a little bit before. Yeah, right. And I think that was kind of considered at the time to be the better film. I think it is the better film. It definitely goes, it fucking goes for it. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those. Can, sorry, can you t- can you tell me what Spring Breakers? So is? Spring Breakers is about. Um, I, I believe they're either late high school or college girls. Four of them. They want to go to Miami or wherever the big Spring Break thing is, and they rob a um, a cafeteria to get the money to go on Spring Break, and they end up getting involved in all kinds of manner of drug deals and executions and just cr- crazy shit goes down. Right. Um, and it's one of those movies similar to Bling Ring, where it's it's clearly a parody of of this type of excess and the, you know, a, a statement on the commentary of this kind of gross culture, consumerism and product and defining yourself by things you can buy and all this stuff. Um, but for me, I, with both of these movies, I find it hard to, what's the line between, is this a condemnation or is the condemnation kind of become a celebration of, uh, and, Past a certain point, it's like, oh, I, I don't even care about figuring it out. This is just gross. And yeah. hey, bitch, yeah, let's get a fucking handbag. Ugh, yeah. ugh. You know, it's uh, I'm all for that commentary and I'm all for hanging out with those people it, with the right kind of aesthetic. But the aesthetic of these two movies didn't do it for me. Yeah. The <laughs> No, I completely understand that, though, yeah. by the way. the There is not one character that you like. No. I can't think of anyone. No, no, no. And there doesn't seem to be a great inner life in any of them either. Mm. It does just seem like whenever, on the very, very rare moments you see them outside of robbing someone's house, you know, they're standing in front of a webcam with mm. diamonds or pouting mm. or whatever it is. And, you, you know, I see that shit on a bus and I have a nervous breakdown. Mm. So to sit there for an hour and a half with it, it was just like, uh, I know, it's awful. I'm already sold on the fact that yeah. this is awful. Okay. Oh, that's good. You've made me feel really confident about this podcast because I have yes. – you are talking about things that I hope will give you some interesting places to go. Right. So sometimes the difference between enjoying a movie and not liking one is timing. Yep. You're in a bad mood, you're too young, you're too old, etc. And I think I hit this movie at exactly the right age because there is a new added commentary to the film, which is – a lot of these people these kids look up to are irrelevant now, or at the very least, mm. not the shiny new thing on the block. And do you think this is something new to 2021 or when this movie came out in 2013, do you think that was already a part of the commentary? That's interesting. I think, look, I think it's definitely been always known that uh, certain types of star have their life cycle. Mm. You know, they're like the giant dwarfs that get way too big and yeah. bloated way too quickly and then run out of fuel. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, that, that's interesting. I mean, I, I didn't read it as a commentary on the disposability of celebrity, um, but I suppose that is in there. I think what's really fascinating about her is that she kind of lets – and this is where I think people criticise her movie saying there's not enough going on, but I think what she does is she kind of doesn't pass – uh, an obvious judgment, mm. which allows you to then engage with it how you want to engage. Yeah. I reckon, you know, I could imagine uh, a lot of people who aren't white men watching somewhere going, fuck that guy. 
hundred percent. And I, and look, I was thinking of somewhere a lot while watching this. Yes, so was I. You know, because of our conversation last week about you know, oh, this guy's kind of unlikable, but mm. you know, hey, I really resonate with him. I, I was very aware of my own identification yeah. with one type of character who could be deemed toxic versus yeah. my inability to connect with any of these characters because you know, I'm not into that. I don't care about clothes and yeah. labels. That's fucking lame. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And uh, to it, I'm part of my fascination with pop culture in general is like I as an example, I came around to being a fan, like a proper fan of huh. disco music decades after it ended. And that's because disco when it first came along was all about it was a subculture. It was the Latinos, it was the African Americans, it was the gays, and it, they were all living this world where in their universe, they didn't have longevity. So it was all about the now. So mm. when I listen to disco music now, it has an added sense of poignancy yeah. because that now is the past. So yeah. <laughs> I kind of had that in the back of my head when I was watching this. To me, in many ways, and there's more questions for later on, it's a real time capsule for not only a specific time in history. Mm but also a potential origin point for where we are now. Yeah, I definitely felt that. it Because um, this movie is, what, uh, 11 years old now? Uh, 2013. Oh, to the, okay. So, you know, nearly 10 years old. But the old. story that it's based on took place in 2008, 2009. Right. So, yeah, it's it's uh, of that. Yeah. yeah it, it, it definitely seems like <laughs> we definitely haven't backed away from that mentality over the last 10 years. You know, if anything, you know, social media and Instagram stars yeah. and, 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 and sponsorship and all that stuff has kind of accelerated this stuff. Mm. Um, you know, it's kind of gone mainstream. It's not just the realm of celebrity obsessed, you know, gossip hounds or TMZ watchers anymore. I'd go as far as to say it's acceptable. Like, well, yeah, it absolutely. is to be an influencer. Yeah. There was, there was a, Period in history when if you had a mobile phone, you were a dickhead. 100%. And there was a moment in time where if you called yourself an influencer, you were one of the most idiotic people I've ever met. Yeah, gross. And now there are people who are going for that. Like I was talking to a manager once who said, I will not manage influencers. And oh. I was looking at their oh. list and I thought, yeah, you know what? Give it two years because if you can make money from it, you 100%. will be – What's a viable career path now? Yeah. It's just, uh, you know, I, I think we, uh, you know, came up in a pop culture world that was very much like anti doing an ad or, you know, oh, you've sold out if you do a... Bill Hicks. Yeah, the Bill, that, I mean, that classic Bill Hicks bit. Whereas now it would be ludicrous for a celebrity not to. Yeah. You know, it would be strange. Yeah. It would be a real outlier to hear, you know, whoever... DiCaprio go, oh, you know what? I got enough money. I'm not doing any more watch ads or perfume ads. I think it's gross. (laughs) It's so funny as well. It's like I don't don't feel any disappointment when I hear a David Bowie song in an advert because I already have a relationship with it. But I forget what the song was, but I heard something pop up recently just being played and I immediately thought of the advert that it represents. Mm, And that, to me, ruins that song. But who am I to tell them they shouldn't have done that because – that's the only song they ever had as a hit. So if they're still making money from it. Yeah, I know. I mean, look, it, it becomes it becomes this like 
terrible thing of like holding on to these very uh, idealistic views of art and, and, and it should all be kind of kept in a safe box and mm. my memory of it is the memory. Uh, it's it's hard, but it is hard when something hijacks something that means a lot to you. I've always loved that uh, Leonard Cohen song, Everybody Knows. Oh, yeah. And then about 10 years ago, the New South Wales government decided to put that as the soundtrack to the most graphic, horrific, anti-smoking ad I've ever seen in my life where they're literally like squeezing pus out of an aorta and like wringing the tar out of a dead lung. Everybody knows that the tide is coming. Like, (laughs) fuck, man. I can never hear that song again without having a hypochondroidal meltdown. How dare you? Uh, You know what I mean? I had a memory of that and now you've completely rewritten it. It's not good. Yeah, that's not good. That's like like fucking adding... Uh, you know, we, you and I read that article last week about how they're going to go and take classic movies and, oh, yeah. and put in advertising. Yeah, great. And it's like, don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. And don't ruin songs. Totally. Like, get the message out there, but find something else, you assholes. Just play a funeral dirge or oh, something. Mate, don't take don't, Leonard. Don't take Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the kind of really important moments in this film uh, early on, and it's, it's almost like a throwaway but it's when uh, young Mark talks about how he's insecure about his mm. looks, yeah. which at least gives us a way in. I also have to be honest with you, I didn't pick up that he was gay immediately. Like, it took mm. me a while for it to sink in, and I actually liked that because it was not, hey, here's this young gay boy. Yeah. And so for me that, you know, it kind of humanises him and allowed me a way into the movie and I, I was curious, what did you think of Mark? Um, oh, you know, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> like not that deep, but lost teenager, yeah. Yeah, like clearly comfortable in his sexuality. Like yeah. I picked up on the fact that he was gay within a scene or two. Just just the way that I can't remember the main um, the ringleader's name. Yeah. Uh, but the way she approaches Rebecca. him, Rebecca, the way she approaches him at the lockers. Right. It's with an immediate mateship. Yes. There's nothing flirtatious about it. Yeah. It's like she's intuited straight away. Oh, you're my pal. Right. This isn't gonna turn into a romantic thing or a pining thing or like, you know. Uh, unrequited teen love or anything. Uh, she seems to intuit it straight away, and and just the energy that uh, that he's got with the with the girls that he's hanging yes. out with. Is, there's a there's a comfort level that a young yeah. teenage boy who was busting a nut over this situation wouldn't be. It wouldn't have that kind of composure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When when he's not trying to dry hump yeah. Hermione Granger, yeah. you go, oh yeah, that makes sense for that young boy not to. He is that Hermione? Gay. Yeah, Emma Watson. Oh, fuck. I didn't think that was Emma Watson. Really? No, I thought that was Anna Kendrick. No, that's Emma Watson. Oh, shit. Okay. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought it was well, Anna Kendrick the we'll whole time. We'll have some nice chats about that okay. later. But the, uh, it's funny. So the moment that I thought, oh, is he gay, was when he knew the different shoes. Yeah. <laughs> and that, um, but then I had my own hang-ups where I th- had that thought early and then I was like, oh, mate, just because a fucking kid knows. <laughs> Like it's. Have yeah. I ever told you the uh, Tom Ballard, Josh Thomas story? No. So there was a point where after uh, Josh Thomas came out, yeah. and then I heard these rumors that you know Tom Ballard and Josh Thomas were dating, and I was really on my high horse about it. It's like fuck. Just you know what? Two young gay boys, like <laughs> they can just be friends, you know. And it's bullshit. And all of you people 
are awful and the way you are judging them and spreading this malicious gossip. I, I don't respect any of you and fuck all of you. And they're, oh, they're together. Okay, well, it looks like I was wrong. And that was the moment that I had with this where I was like, oh, don't be like that just because he knows shoes. He knows that. Oh, no, he's gay. He's sitting yeah. there with the shoes. Yep. Sometimes a young boy in LA in 2010 who knows a lot about designer shoes, sometimes he's gay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just as, you know, 40-something-year-old men who are white, who go to the movies, love Christopher Nolan, sometimes. Yes. single. <laughs> <laughs> Not always. Not but always. Sometimes. But sometimes you do tick the boxes. Uh, so I feel like I know how you answer this, but all the kids in this movie have issues of their own. Like mm. Rebecca is a product of a broken home. Nikki yes. has a challenging mother who gives her homeschooling. With the secret. Oh, my God. <laughs> like Leslie Mann. Like that is a that is a funny That's performance, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and that slight need for the attention from the reporters at the end, uh, so entertaining, and the yeah, and like um, her telling her mum off, you yeah. know, no, this is my moment, yeah. but she can't help herself, <laughs> of course. Because she's got the secret. Yeah. Um, Sam has been adopted by Nikki's family, and they really need to point out that she's still a drug addict or yeah. whatever, which is weird. But I already feel like I know your answer to this. Does this lend a level of empathy towards any of these characters? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, I think, look, if, uh, if, <laughs> if I was watching this movie and it was about people from a lower socioeconomic place yes. that weren't necessarily white, privileged LA people, yeah. you know, of course, you know, you were looking at it through such a different filter that I think there would be a lot more sympathy and empathy. Yeah. Because there's a... That strive for acquiring the the bling of society, you know, these totems that mean that you're rich or that you're powerful or you're privileged. You can see, um, I think that those symbols would mean more for people who can't actually afford them at all. Yeah. But these people, for the most part, are living in mansions. And sure, they might not be able to afford as much. I think in the end, they still $3 million worth of stuff. But, you know, they're still kind of in that world. So it just seems like this kind of... Um, you know, it's it's it seems more disposable well, for them. The interesting thing is, is that some of them are not that far away from being able to afford it. Like mm. the the thing is, is that they do have a lot of money, and if they just learn how to save, they yeah. could get one of those bags. Yeah, there's a sense of entitlement comes yes. to that it comes with their wanting these things. And well, some of them, some of them have entitlement, and some of them, like Mark, he obviously doesn't come from as much money. Mm. Like, and uh, I forget the guy's name at the end who, when he's arrested and you go to his house and it's like, Oh, that guy yeah. had nothing. Yeah. And he just got swept up. Yeah. And there's it. two little kids. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. I don't, I didn't have empathy really for any of them, but it did at least contextualize them where you yeah. look and you think in a way it's more of a statement on, Poor parenting. And the fact is that you barely see any parents in this film. Mm. And I've got this as a question a little bit later, but we may as well get to it now. The fact is you rarely see any parents throughout mm. this whole film. And when you do, they're blithering idiots <laughs> like fucking Leslie Mann's character homeschooling yep. and being disappointed when she's trying to say to her kids, why should you look up to Angelina Jolie? And they're talking about how great she looks. And she's like, no, she's a powerful woman. And it's like, well, why don't you teach that rather than ask them these yeah. questions anyway? Or when the parents do turn up, they're like, they're 
morons. Like mm. the dad when he wants to know what's going on in Mark's room and he's just a bit like, oh, yeah, hey, what's going on in here? Oh, right, no, I didn't smell any pot or wonder what you were yeah, doing in there. she's literally got no a worries. cigarette smoking in her hand as yes. she's talking to him, so I went out to anything. Yes, and, you know, like there's uh, – I can't remember the character's name but – uh, you know, we briefly mentioned earlier before we start recording the the blonde girl who's a little bit removed from oh, everything. Yeah. Um, let me see if I can find her name. Uh, you know, when you go to her house, there is just a bunch of they're just sitting there. No one's engaging. Well, no well, one's- also, they're, you know, they're they're very um, strategically positioned to be yes. completely separate. There is no yes. unity at all. Yeah. Um, Mum's way in the background. Yes. You know, dad's kind of in the middle, off, yes. offset, not even facing any of them. Yeah. They're all facing away from each other. There's yeah, there, there's a real disconnect. Um, you know, which maybe I mean, this film does feel like it's commenting on that just kind of that LA culture, that kind of disaffected. Yeah. You know, everything's about posturing or posing or having the right thing, being at the right place. Yeah. Um, but, and I guess it's implied that there's a real emptiness behind that. There's not a lot of joy in this movie. There's joy when they're drunk and they're partying. There's fun. There's fun. There's no joy. That's yeah. Right. And I feel like that's a real kind of Kubrick shot as yeah. well, that that yep. family all kind of facing away from each other and yep. it just sits there and you can just hear the siren in the <laughs> yeah. background and, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm not eating that, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think it's important that the movie contextualises everyone without you feeling like you have to empathise with anyone mm. or have to be on anyone's side and I think it's, you know, it's good that they get caught and it's good <laughs> that they get in trouble and... But it's still an interesting film to me. Like one of the scenes that I think is brilliant, and I've got a squid bit about it later, but when you view that time when they break into the house from such a distance, I think it's – Locked off shot. Oh. It's great. Oh, so good. Yeah. And it just is a fascinating uh, visual experience as you're seeing it all kind of play out and it kind of also lets you know in in a way how they could get away with it because that house, which is massive – because you've been inside these massive houses and then you look and you go, that's just one of heaps. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there is that part, you know, th- there is that part of <laughs> of me that, you know, eat the rich part that was like, well, you know, if you're going to leave your fucking mansion unlocked, oh, mate, go fuck yourself. We'll get to that a bit later <laughs> as well. Like, you know, but, yeah, but this and is not what, even realise that you're getting robbed because you've got so much stuff. 100%. I would walk in here and I would go, where's my fits? Yeah. <laughs> Where's my Batman Funko Pop? Yeah, where is it? It's up there. <laughs> I thought you were trying to send me a message. But, yeah, but, you yeah. would know. Yeah, and, uh, and and I wonder if there's a version of this film where maybe you do like and or empathise with the main characters a bit more, you know. Um, and, that, you know, that's not, that's not to criticise this one, but, yeah, I just I wonder if there was a way of <laughs> – presenting more sides of them. Or maybe that's all there is, just this kind of... Well, once uh, again, we've talked about how Copla just kind of... Steps back. She steps back, yeah. and and I think that's where people come in and criticise her, mm. where, like, once again, I was looking at the... I've got to stop saying once again. The reviews where there's... Some of the reviews were scathing. Oh, oh these, bling ring. Yeah, these yeah. vacuous people, and why... What was this, and there was nothing going on, and... Mm. and I still think that this has a lot going on, yeah. and I think it's also 
really funny. Like I didn't laugh yeah. like I did with somewhere, but I did laugh out loud yeah. at a lot of stuff. It's just not quite as funny because as we've already stated, you look at Stephen Dorff and you go, I, I am not that guy, but I can see and relate to aspects of him. And yeah. this kind of culture, you and I don't come from that kind of money. So you look at it and it's always tinged with, ugh. Yeah, yuck. Yeah, I do. Th- I, I, and and that is a hundred percent true. But I do also think. I, look, I don't relate particularly with Scarlett Johansson in Lost in Translation. Yeah, or even directly with the characters in Virgin Suicides. But I felt like in those moments where you're just kind of objectively observing them, mm. rather than there being any real narrative to the scene, I feel like there's a nuance in the performance that is so layered that even if what you're reading into it isn't actually there, there's so much there that you can read a lot into. Whereas with these characters, I guess that's my ultimate inability to disconnect with them. It's not just, it's the double pairing of they're awful people that I don't want to spend (laughs) an hour and a half with. Yeah. But I don't, in the quiet moments, I'm still not seeing any nuance of performance that makes me go, oh, that toxicity of gimme, gimme, gimme is the facade for this broken hearted. I mean, maybe so with Mark. I think that's his name. Yeah. Um, but most characters in it, it's just whether it's, you know, this is their product of their environment or they're very young so they don't have a cultivated personality yet and it is just about the acquisition of these things. I just found it kind of um, – I couldn't read a lot into them other than what was presented to me. Yeah. I get that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, I feel like, I feel like this movie made me work. Mm. So if if you can't be fucked working, this is where I I'm saying to you that Mm. earlier on, I feel like I saw this at the right time. I, I, I don't know if I have this reaction to it, maybe even when it first came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Music's always played an important part in Coppola's movies. Here the use of hip-hop plays an important role. For many African-Americans, hip-hop gave them identity and for those who made a career out of it, Mm. uh, a position of power in the entertainment world. And then for a lot of white people and especially kids, it was just a way of being rebellious. Mm. And, you know, a lot of the songs that they're kind of dancing to and singing, it's fascinating because – they love the songs, mm. but you have a feeling they have no idea what they actually mean. <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> of course not. They're responding to the rhythm or the beat or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I don't think those th- th- those kids were listening to OG hip hop when it first came out and like really getting behind the political message of the music or whatever. Yeah. I think they only became aware of it when it was in the top 40 and it was yeah. in this digestible, you know, package that they could whatever, appropriate or yeah. at least glom onto and take some kind of ownership of. But, you know, even if they were listening to some of the more political stuff, it would probably be just as commodified through their interpretation of it. Yeah, it's funny because I – and once again, this is looking in at yourself and your strengths and flaws and whatever, but when I'm into something, I want to understand it mm. and I want to – know the history of it. Mm. Like, I don't just want to kind of know something. I want to kind of know where it came from, yeah. et Doesn't That's mean- rare. And that's rare. <laughs> that's really rare. That's rare. And, you know, that's led me to sometimes where you go, I'm going to listen to a certain band because I know this has influenced someone I like. And then you listen to that band and you go, this is not for me. Yeah. But I'm glad I gave it a go. Yeah. But, yeah, it's funny. These That is a very rare thing. Totally. And while these uh, hip-hop artists are singing about how they – got all this stuff that represents their rise to the 
world that they live in now, what? they're just dancing, going, "Yeah, I want that too." <laughs> and I was like, "Well, you, but you, you haven't like the only struggle you've had is that you didn't know how to answer your mum about Angeline Jolie." Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But I think that's yeah, I, that's probably true of the vast majority of people listening to hip hop. You know, right. In the main, like most most things, probably all things that start in the underground or subcultures or, yeah. you know, end up getting consumed by the machine, right? Oh, and absolutely commodified. Yeah, it's, the, it's, it's the classic story about grunge <laughs> comes along and they're all wearing denim jackets and that because they're cold because yeah. they're in Seattle. Yeah, of course. And then within like three years, you're watching someone walk down a catwalk in Milan wearing a $15,000 or more denim yeah. jacket, and yeah, you go, yeah. well, isn't that missing the point to everything? By the way, I, I, I don't think you have to listen to something yeah. and have to completely understand it. You right. can just enjoy it. Yeah. But in the context of this film, I think the use of music is also a layered commentary on what's going on with these characters, which I love. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like some of the some of the montages we get of, you know, drawers opening with jewels and stuff yes. in them is very, you know, hip-hop music video yeah. inspired. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Like it's a really visually uh, stunning film in the way that she's using – uh, that kind of hip hop yeah. uh, film clip idea, yeah. and then they're doing things like the. Uh, it sometimes feels like a TMZ clip, <laughs> yeah. and then it's just you know that clip of Mark just kind of singing to himself. I like that very much. I yes. thought that was the best sequence in the whole movie because there was stuff in that performance yes. that I could read into and be like, "Oh, there's a lot going on here." Yeah, you know, like, this is this is not just what he's doing, this is giving him a, self, a sense of self-worth yeah. and a sense of character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I keep coming back to, you know, he, oh, you know, I'm not attractive and all of this kind of stuff. And it's like in that moment he's like, that's, that's like someone who's been made up to be a drag queen. 100%. Being, pushed out onto the stage and yeah. feeling like they've arrived. Yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. quintessentially what's happening there, yeah. right? And there's so there's a lot of depth in the smiles that he's, you know, because they're cheeky snatch smiles. Yeah. He's not lingering on them. They're, yeah. they're kind of overwhelming him. Yeah. Uh, and, and, the, he, and the use of that viewpoint and that uh, that Coppola chooses. The webcam yes, type thing. Yeah. Gives us a, a little bit of sense of, being voyeuristic yes. and we shouldn't be here seeing this part of the movie. Yeah, yeah that's right. It's you know, it, it, it's like we're inside the mirror. Yes, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. looking out, just yeah. going, Jesus, yeah. calm down, mate. You're yeah. going to be in heaps of trouble in a few months. <laughs> uh, two parts of this movie that are possibly difficult for people to relate to, and uh, one is uh, like the thrill of breaking into a place or just being somewhere you're not supposed to be. Yeah. You know, I know that thrill. Not that I've ever broken into a house, but there was a <laughs> there was a college in in Adelaide, and uh, you know, I'm just going to mention which one it was, Regency College. So if you want to fucking come and get this gangster, I'm ready for you. I'll be here with all my AK 47s and a mountain of coke, going full Scarface over this story. But uh, when I, when we were teenagers, you know, you'd have sleepovers, and I don't know how we discovered this, but we found out we could walk around in the top maze part yeah. of the college. It's like and- a school with lockers and everything on the. It was like it was a like a grown up college, oh, okay, and right, so yeah, yeah. you know you go there to study uh, all sorts of things. But anyway, the um, they had a construction going, and there's there's just all these paths upstairs mm. that you walk over the uh, over the classrooms and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And we used to go there at night all the time, right. and it was thrilling. <laughs> and one night, how old are you? 
27. No, I, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm like 13, 14 right, kind yeah, of thing. Perfect, perfect. And we uh, and there was like a like a place where the workers you know, had their little office up there, some nudie photos, like <laughs> yeah. dirty pervs up there. Right. You know, but by the way, just as an offshoot, who who goes to work and thinks, you know what I need? I need to be able to turn left and see some boobs. <laughs> yeah, but well, this is like the mid-1980s, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were no phones to bring that stuff up with. Well, you know? the thing it's is, a different is world. Yeah, but also, yeah, uh, actually, you know what? You've actually explained, uh, answered my question. Yeah, that was back when if you wanted to see boobs, you had to be A, in a relationship or B, yeah. actually going to a news agent yeah. and, and buying a magazine. Yeah. And letting everyone know your shame. Yeah, God, that's a thing that's fallen away. Huh? Yeah. I'd completely forgotten that that was a thing. Yeah, you had one, to. Yeah, you had to face them. Well, didn't that just like you know? And there would be people who would just go and, yep, I'm yeah. buying these magazines. See all these uh, boobs here. Yep, I know what you're thinking. I'm going to go home and wank to them, <laughs> and I don't care because I'm just putting them out I'm there. Gluing these pages shut tonight. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, and there was one night when we were walking around at the top and then a light turned on and it was my three, my two mates and I and uh. the light turned on. And it was uh. like we backed up, <laughs> we backed up the way Dallas turns around in Alien when he turns on the light and the alien's suddenly there. <laughs> and it was like, because it was that kind of, that's what it kind of looked like. I'm imagining the Scooby-Doo gang seeing a ghost <laughs> and all bumping into each yeah, other. Yeah. And like, <laughs> we were like, oh, and then... And then the door opened and at the time it felt like it opened really slowly and the the, the chest got really tight and the mouth went dry and you like feeling someone else's panic is a really full-on experience as well. So feeling my two mates and I all just at the same time have the same amount of panic and then it was another friend of ours who turned up late. (laughs) G'day, guys. I was like, fuck. And then I reckon we stayed awake for like 48 hours straight from the adrenaline. <laughs> that's, a, that's a scene from an Amblin Spielberg movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, the long shadows cast yeah. over all of it. Oh, oh. Yeah. yeah. That's a great moment. <laughs> but uh, we've talked in the past about, you know, having the little thrill of stealing chocolate from a supermarket. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's, uh, there's, there's a sense of power and... It's the it's the the power that can only be felt by someone who feels truly disempowered. Yeah, because really, what you're doing is no great act of rebellion. But you know, I think uh, when I, when I was pinching chockies and at twelve or thirteen, you know, it uh, <laughs> it felt good. Yeah, it felt like being Danny Ocean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, because you've got to be very aware of your surroundings. You've got to be very aware of how you're carrying yourself. Yeah. You know, if you're shifty-eyed and freaking out, well, you're going to get busted. You have to – it's a sense of – I mean, it's similar to walking out on stage, I think. You know, if you walk out on stage going, oh, no, I'm going to eat shit, you'll probably eat shit because you're bringing an aura with you that is – people aren't even consciously aware that they're – feeding on but they are like the animal in them is like oh look at this it's a fucking wounded animal i don't trust this guy to get me over the next 10 minutes and it's the same with you know pinching a caramello koala like if you're walking around like oh my god my my mom's gonna boss me if i get caught like you're gonna get caught yeah you look like a thief yeah and you never like you never really think about the mechanics of walking or the mechanics of how your shoulders sit 
<laughs> alongside your spine or any of what that. What does my face look like? How do you hold your jaw? <laughs> like, you, this is stuff that we do every day and you don't think about it. Yeah. But when you suddenly have a fucking bouncy bar in your pocket, 100%. you know your yep. body posture like no other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's dancers and you. That is fucking <laughs> it, right? That's a funny thing. They should, I would. We should make a diabetic version of this movie where it's a bunch of kids who just keep buying, uh, stealing chocolate and all get type 2 diabetes and then the parents can't understand because they're all, you know. Yeah, we only ever found them health food. Yeah. How did that we, happen? Chocolate was banned in this house. Uh. Uh, and also uh, the, the second part that is um, kind of hard to get your head around is have you ever been led astray by someone? Um. Because I think it's easy to, if if you've never been led astray, I think yeah. it's easy to be dismissive, and 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 by the way, led astray. Jesus, I don't even, I don't even mean in a really serious way. Like yeah, just yeah, you know, yeah. like you think you like going to a certain bar because uh, your friends go. <laughs> you know what? I I I actually thought for a while, you know, because I was very anti peer pressure growing up. Mm. Could never be bullied into drinking or smoking or anything. It always felt insulting that mm. people would try and pull those tricks on me. So I was always like, "Oh no, I've never." I, I, when you asked the question, I was like, "No, I, I, I've never succumbed to." What did you say? Like to, just being led, led astray. astray. I've never been led astray. But then I think about, <laughs> I think about my first couple of years in stand up. Mm. And I think there was a group of three of us that were all leading each other astray in very big ways. And we were, uh, you know, we were all culpable and we were all kind of uh, feeding off each other. But, you know, we definitely got caught in a mindset for a couple of years that was probably in the long term quite beneficial in terms of just whatever, becoming a more fully rounded artist or exploring the parameters of what you want to do on stage. But in the moment was incredibly selfish, incredibly detrimental to shows, incredibly disrespectful to other acts, yeah. to the MC, yeah. you know, just being little fucking brats, oh, being yeah. real brats. There's uh, there's one comedian that, uh, that was in that group who I really like and I think is was really funny. And <laughs> that guy burnt me so many times every time I gave him a good intro, just being terrible on stage and then making the rest of my night as an MC harder. That, That's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and so I got to a point where if you ever saw that person on the, oh. on the lineup, you'd see me doing intros like this. Here's someone that I know I can trust, so it would be like, <laughs> next up, this comedian's great, really funny, can't wait to see what they're doing tonight, welcome to the stage, blah, blah, blah. And then the next <laughs> one would be, oh, I really like this girl, we've done some gigs around town, she's great, blah, blah, blah. And then this person would come up and I'd <laughs> say, and now here's Nick's son. <laughs> and I really like Nick and I think Nick did one of the greatest <laughs> Greatest comedy sets I ever saw at a late night show yeah. at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. Yeah. Nick's well, the funniest person that's ever been out of this country. Well before the <laughs> mate Rodney Rude. Anyway, the um, but well before anyone was talking in the mainstream about Australia Day being Invasion Day, oh, and he did one of the greatest sets I have ever genuinely seen, including international acts. And I just got to a point where I would say. Nick's son. 
Well, yeah. When we when we started together, there was a lot of, um, you know, well, we were very, very high on our own. Um, you guys were angry. We were very, well, A, we were very angry, but we were also very high on kind of getting um, whatever good feedback from comedy in very quickly. So we were both like, yeah, we're the fucking second coming. We're yeah. going to tear it all down and rebuild it. <laughs> it was just very, you know. So when, when when I say we led each other astray, it was very much that, just kind of feeding on each other's yeah. mythos and the idea of what we were doing. And, yeah. you know, which, and, and you know, <laughs> and I regret none of it because <laughs> it was fucking, um, it was what it was. Um, but, you know, ultimately I think it led to us, after a certain point, not being taken very seriously anymore because oh. I was. <laughs> Mate, absolutely. Is Ben going to cry on stage tonight because it's pure and true? Yeah. <laughs> well, then it becomes less real and becomes performative, performative in its own absolutely. way. So absolutely. It's, it's this funny thing where you go, look at that fucking hat getting up doing it. Absolutely, bro. And absolutely. Then, yeah. And we're all guilty of yeah, that yeah, at some yeah, point. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's – yeah, absolutely. It becomes um, – It's such know, a peaceful place to be in when you can just accept that that's what someone else does and who cares? Oh, totally. And to realise <laughs> that, you know, all of the things that you think that you're railing against, you're actually shadow boxing with your own yeah. brain. Like yeah. it's none of it's <laughs> none of it matters. No one cares. Yeah. It's you working your own shit out. Oh, totally. You know, when you, 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 you know, you've reached peak toxicity in this industry or in art in general, where you're resenting someone for getting a thing that you in no plane of reality ever would have been in line for. Oh, mate. <laughs> Are you talking about how I feel about the project? Yeah. <laughs> like, I can't believe Chadwick Boseman was cast as Black Panther. What a fucking asshole. Yeah, this like, is yeah, bullshit. You're so good, man. Yeah, you're going to be fine, mate. You're going to be fine. You're white. Um, have you ever been seduced by fame in any capacity? Uh, um, what do you mean? Like, the, well, I by, don't know. By in meaning, any capacity. In like, any capacity. Like, I'm guessing, well, I feel like, as an example, I'm not saying that you were, but mm. I could say you've been around some people that you've really looked up oh, to. totally. And been a bit intoxicated. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're your stories to tell, so I'm not going <laughs> to prod, but, you know, some pretty big names yeah, in yeah. the podcasting world. In the podcasting world, yeah, and I, when I when I met Grant Morrison for the first time, I utterly humiliated myself, right? And uh, yeah, it was completely intoxicated by the idea of the person. It's yeah. not even the person; it's just this, like, oh my god, I've, I'm in the same room as this person who has really formed a lot of my views on reality yeah. and everything. Yeah. Uh, and if I can just say the right thing, yeah. he'll invite me to hang out at his castle with him. We'll be pals. And we'll be friends. Yeah. And he'll write his next comic series about me. Yeah. In fact, he'll retcon all of his old comics and put me in them. Like, yeah. just these, these delusions. Um, and had like a Mark David Chapman moment when I met him where he was like clearly really uncomfortable right. around me. Right. <laughs> like wow. da- eyes darting and stuff. Yeah. Just like get this fucking weirdo away from me. Just yeah. me mealy-mouthed. <laughs> um... So yeah, in that sense, which and it's a horrible feeling. Yeah, because I've seen like my mum gets; she doesn't even need to know what the famous person's done. She just needs to see someone famous, and if she knows they're famous, she starts freaking out. Right, like she met James Earl Jones one day, and I'm not saying meeting James Earl Jones oh, yeah. would be great. 
But like, she doesn't know who James Earl Jones is. Right. And so she saw him in Driving Miss Daisy on stage. He came out the um, cast exit and she's there like, going, oh, I'm your biggest fan. And it's right. like, but you're not. Like, you don't yeah. know. But just the, the idea of a famous. Yeah. Very famous person, you yeah. know, suddenly, you know, so you don't ever want to be that kind of person because it's yeah. mortifying and must be awful to be a famous person and have to deal with that all the time. You know, that is one of those things. Have I ever told you one of the greatest moments of celebrity I have ever seen mm. was in Melbourne? And I looked up and I realized I was walking like half a street behind Quentin Tarantino <laughs> and we were walking in the same direction and i just watched people yelling out to him yo quentin and that and him just like giving the thumbs up and waving and it was i the way he was comfortable in that moment was really fascinating to me and it was a really fun thing to kind of just be inadvertently going in the same direction getting to watch all of that and and he seemed to enjoy it he yeah yeah, he was really into it. I think, it, yeah, like if you hit a certain level of fame, it, I just, I can't. Well, I reckon it's, sorry to interrupt. I reckon you've got to hit a certain level of fame and it has to be a certain type of fame. People who are into Tarantino, like, of course, he'll have weirdo moments, but for the most part, they're probably going to be geeky, nerdy film lovers yeah, who yeah, yeah. are, you know, probably ticking a lot of boxes in that, yeah, that's th- th- they're happy to drive past and yell out. Tarantino and keep going. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. I just feel like it would be like I'm so – I live in Newtown and, you know, Newtown is a suburb where I know a lot of people when I'm walking down the street and even that is like, oh, oh yeah. God, fuck off. Yeah. And, you know, it's never much. It's always just, hey, how you going as we're walking by. Yeah. But even that some days is enough. So to be, you know, whoever, fucking yes. Brad Pitt or whatever and yeah. just never get a minute. And everyone freaking out. Yeah. Do you, know? you do that when you've met fam- really famous people before have to consciously go, I'm not going to be one of those. At the very least, I won't be one of those people trying to suck something out of them. Yeah. You, I think you want to be in the moment, just say what you have to say. Yeah. And if you can – be the first to excuse yourself. Yes. Yes, yes As a yes. sign of, like, I'd rather say less yeah. and get out yeah. than say too much and then they say, hey, that's really lovely, but, you know, yeah, I have you? to get back to dinner and I'm <laughs> saying I'm so sorry for standing in your suit. <laughs> <laughs> I had it when I first started working at the store when I was, like, 20-whatever, early 20s. Yeah. Uh, and this is before I ever did comedy. And so I would, you know, meet people that I were famous. Yeah. Uh, and I, I kind of glommed on early on to being like, be respectful in not playing coy and pretending that you don't know who this person is. Cause yes. clearly, you know, yes. who this person is just don't fawn, just don't carry on. Hey man, yeah. you want a drink? <laughs> you know, if you start talking and it's cool, it'll be cool. Yeah. So there are critics of Sophia Coppola who say that all her movies are the same, that they're about the emptiness of celebrity life, but I kind of feel like that's not giving her enough credit as there are yep. many ways to investigate this world. And I think all of these movies have been quite different. And as an example, the, this movie to me is about the vacuity of being enthralled to this lifestyle as opposed to uh, the last movie mm. where Johnny's, uh, you know, his success has made him inoculated to the real world. Yeah. Like they're, they're quite different. I feel like, is this like a criticism of her because she's a woman? Because you know what we don't get angry at? 
Scorsese for making another gangster film or yeah, totally. Spielberg for doing another movie that taps into your childhood or yeah, yeah, yeah. Nolan for going, oh, look, here's another movie that plays with time. Like, but, yeah. yeah, I think – look, I think any director that makes a half a dozen movies is going to be – you're going to start seeing consistencies throughout yeah. them. I think for the most part they're pointed out. It is interesting that the, the male director versus female director. Have you noticed everyone is constantly going on about Tarantino's foot fetish? Yes. Sofia Coppola has a foot fetish. Every single film that we've watched has multiple shots of splayed bare toes. Right. And not act, not just kind of happening, but like they're there. Right. And I, I would say as prominent as they are in Tarantino films, but yeah. I've never heard anyone say, oh, have you noticed in Sophie Coppola's right. movies you're always seeing Kirsten Dunst splaying her toes? Right. <laughs> Maybe Tarantino ripped off the foot fetish. <laughs> That's a funny thing to rip off. Uh, but there's, oh, I'm, it's funny when you started talking about the stuff that you see in her films, uh, it, there's always moments in bed. Yeah. Bed is a real place of comfort and... Yeah. And also I think there's a real uh, – like I know some people have had issues with this, but I think she's got a real celebration of the female body as yeah. well. And it, But she – I don't feel like it, – it's funny. I don't feel like she ever really sexualizes anyone. It's just there. Yeah, they're just there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's not afraid to look away from it. She just stays there. Yeah. But I like the – I mean, fuck, every artist has their thing that they're doing. And, and yeah. you know, you either are interested in what they're doing or not, but I can't think of any – you know, even someone like Alan Moore, whose works are hugely diverse in tone and subject, yeah, there's still through lines, you know, that are unavoidable because it's the same person making it. Yeah. Well, I was reading an excellent review of the film by Deborah Ross for The Spectator, worthwhile finding if you can get onto it, who compared this film to The King of Comedy and how both films look at the obsession of celebrity from the skewed vo- viewpoint of yeah. obsession, which was... You know, I thought that was a really interesting yeah. thing. And I wonder if we reverse the directors, the would the same critiques that come Copeland's way still exist? Like if, if Scorsese made the bling ring, mm. would we be going, fuck, that just – he really got into it and he just <laughs> – you know what? Like Goodfellas doesn't judge them; just shows us what they're doing. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. But because it's Sophia Coppola, who is a woman of white woman privilege, yeah. we kind of it's easier for some critics to come in. I'm yeah. not saying it's not an invalid criticism, but yeah. it just seems to be marked more. And I don't read a lot of reviews, but I just kind of flick through yeah. just headlines to see what they're saying, and yeah. it just seems to be more prominent in really? in in the in the opening of it. What was, what was people's reaction to Wolf of Wall Street? Well, I remember there was a little bit of like, whoa, oh, there's not really know. a condemnation here. Because this made me think of Wolf of Wall Street right. a bit. You know, just that kind of, you know, there, there, there's like a subgenre of American movies that's like the commentary on toxic excess that mm. ends up becoming debatable whether it itself becomes part of the celebration of toxic excess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh and it's kind of um, funny because, you know, when you talk about Sophia Coppola coming from a place of white woman privilege, but uh, at the same time, the shit she copped for Godfather Part 3, which was yeah. a situation that she was placed in yeah. through no fault of her own, and that's before the internet, and that was some fucking brutal stuff that yeah. still goes on to this day. When was that? That was 90s, right? 91. Man, I watched this uh, documentary, The Clinton Affair, you heard of this? You should watch uh, it. 
Yeah, it's, fan- it's it, fantastic. It. It's yeah. like six hours and a deconstruct, and you know, like really, what a grot that guy was. Yeah, but Monica is a huge part of that, right? And she is like beyond, beyond, just amazing. Yeah, beautiful, like really good sense of humor about the whole thing. Super wise, um, but it really gets into that whole. You know how the trend at the time was, oh, it's fucking Monica's fault. Yes. Like, what? She's 21 21 years old, seduced by the most powerful man on earth. Yeah. You know, it's um, it's wild. It's just wild to think that there wasn't that wasn't that long ago. Yeah. And just the the just the it was just a given. Yeah. That she's the fallen one and she's the problem and all the rest. So it's not. Well, also like and I have to say, I have not followed this, so I'm speaking a little bit as an outside observer of it. Mm. But isn't that happening with Meghan Markle? Yeah. You know, like I I have not looked into that because I could not give half a shit about the royal family. Like I don't even watch The Crown because people say That's it's really good. And I'm like, I'm sure it is. It's boring. But I can't be fucked. Yeah. Uh, but... You know, it's still occurring, isn't it? Like, she's the cause for Harry splitting from the family. Whereas, like, isn't there the potential that Harry looked around at his rapey uncle and the rest of the royal family and thought, I need to get away from this? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, it, it's, it's very strange, you know, because I think it comes from the same place that, you know, puts very kind of uh, archaic ideas of males and females into place. So it's, it, it comes from the same place as, you know, oh, men are strong and yeah. leaders and all the rest. But through blaming the woman in such a way, it's like, aren't you infantilizing the, the male to, literally to a childlike state? Yeah. It was like, oh, you, I, can't, I can't make up my mind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this film in some way feels like an origin story for the widespread desire for people to be famous without really yeah. doing anything to achieve yeah. it. Uh, I keep thinking about, like, how prescient was Andy Warhol when he said, in the future, oh, everyone will man. be famous for 15 minutes. Yeah. And he was like, oh, well, I don't know how you did that, yeah. but that was correct. Yeah. But one of the things that is interesting to me about this movie is that I think if this is made today – I reckon like the character of Rebecca, who's kind of the ringleader. Don't you reckon they're maybe exploring if she's mildly on the spectrum in some sort of way or do you know what I oh, mean? Really? It's like there is a there is a blankness to some of the things that they do. Yeah. And I I find it a relief that Copla doesn't try to explain it. She just shows you and then you can work it out. And I think if the film was made today, they'd be trying to say, well, she does have ADHD or something. Do you know what I mean? Oh, how boring. That would be terrible if they did that. It's like I just read it as just her being a disaffected. Yes. You know, she's just, you know, yeah, and it could be, it could be that she's got that. But but it's not important. No. And yet, and, and, and I don't think she does. I think she's just manipulative. yeah, yeah. yeah. But I just think there would be – like that's kind of what I found fascinating about the film is I think uh, now there would be yeah. – well, we better be careful. We don't want to show them in a bad light. We've got to give explanations uh, as to why this yeah. is happening. Yeah, no doubt. I find, uh, as I told you, this movie really funny. But once again, I think her humour is really subtle. Or, and not, not necessarily for everyone, but 
when Nikki says, I'm a firm believer in karma and I think this situation is a huge learning lesson for me to grow and expand as a spiritual being, I want to lead a country one day for all I know. <laughs> I laughed out loud at that moment. Is that an actual quote? In the movie. Yeah, but is that an actual quote from the real life person? Oh, well, I so I did read the initial article yeah. and that's pretty fascinating. Yeah. And so if, if that's not a direct quote from one of the people it's, that's, you know, it's in the ballpark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, I don't think she gets enough uh, respect for how funny she is. I think her humour is either too subtle or just not for everybody, which is fine. But as an example, Nikki saying, I'm a firm believer in karma and I think this situation is a huge learning <laughs> lesson for me to grow and expand as a spiritual being. I want to run a really big charity one day or maybe a country for all I know <laughs> is like <laughs> – one of the funniest things I've heard in a long time. But do you, do you think maybe people don't find it funny because that's like rather than look at the inherent humour in that, people are looking and thinking, fucking idiot, you're not going to run a country. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I, I think but I, you get angry before you find the comedy, right? Well, I think, I think so much of her comedy is like the natural just foibles of being human. Yes. And I think uh, if you're someone who's very interested in the nuance of human beings and their strange behaviours, you know, like James Woods in uh, Virgin Suicide yes. is a great example of yes. that. He's hysterical, but he never says anything outwardly funny. Right. But it's the vulnerability and the, you know, the, the, the milk toasty kind of, uh, yeah. of just being kind of crushed a bit by life. <laughs> Yeah. That's hilarious. Um, so if you're not tuned into that and you're just kind of a standard movie watcher and, you know, comedy is when Melissa McCarthy f- falls off something and goes, right. Doing, like, uh, yeah. Like, I, you know, I yeah. think it's, it, it, people are very quick to put things in their genre category. Yeah. But to me, the fu- some of the funniest movies in the world aren't comedies. Yes. Like they wouldn't be in the comedy section at the video store if, if video stores existed anymore. Yeah. Um, like all that jazz. Right. Or being there. Yes. It's one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Yeah. But it's, you know, or Clockwork Orange or, right. so, you know, they're... Humour has many uh, colours to it and we often forget that you just, you know, you don't just have to point at the primary ones. Totally. I mean, yeah. I mean, speaking of Clockwork Orange, Kubrick's a great example of that. All of his yeah. movies are hilarious. Right. Very funny. But, I mean, Lynch movies, same thing. Yeah. They're all very funny, but it's not... Yeah, but also, <laughs> also uneasy and yeah, yeah, it's yeah. all of that. Yeah. Uh, you know... Everyone in and also like everyone in this movie's stupid. Like yeah. the the nightclub owner buying the Rolex watches from a kid, Gavin Rossdale. <laughs> yeah. Like you know, like the first time you see him, oh Chloe, that's the character's name that I couldn't oh, remember. Yeah, yeah. Chloe's, my, yeah. yeah, the one that we was talking about, Great. being Husky our favourite. So the first time you see Chloe hanging out with the nightclub owner, you go, oh, he's a cool dude. And then he's sitting there looking at this kid selling him fucking Rolexes, and he says. Yeah, I'll give you this much for him. And you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, he's quite cl- – like, you're running a nightclub where people are quite clearly doing drugs and all sorts of things and you're thinking, you know what, there's just not enough potential for shit to go sideways in my life. I'm going to buy Rolexes from yeah, this yeah. kid. After saying he knows that they're stolen. Oh, like, you know, uh, you mentioned this earlier – uh, celebrities with poor security. Like, Terrible. fucking lock up. Just, I'm going on vacation for three weeks and I'm not going to lock my mansion. There's something really interesting it's... to be said about the way they find out when to go there, yeah, you know, yeah, being yeah. able to get on the internet. And that is a very interesting thing for famous people where you go, oh, yeah, I can see where, uh, you know, I have empathy for you to always be on yeah. your best behaviour. But Jesus Christ, these celebrities 
need to know their history and know the fucking awful story of Sharon Tate and lock your fucking homes. It's just is it is because it, obviously it's uh it's not a, a, an isolated incident. It's kind of like well, they, endemic to just that lifestyle. Well, that's what that's they're going around. I know, and just letting themselves in, finding the oh, well, let's look under the mat. Oh, there's the key. It's crazy. Is crazy. it is it is it just. You know, oh, the house is so big, so I can't keep track of which windows might potentially be unlocked. Or is it just a complete kind of blithely going through life? Like, eh. I don't know. It's, like, it's maybe, very strange. Maybe they mistake having security cameras for security. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. it. you know, it's fucking funny that you, you see them walking backwards with their hoods on <laughs> in the security camera and then they get straight into the room and, yep, take everything <laughs> off yeah, yeah, and yeah, here yeah, we yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my first thought that when they're coming into the place, like, ah, not, not, no masks, no, you, uh, really? Yeah. Again, like, you know, they've got this sense of entitlement, you know, yeah. that's very similar. <laughs> it's similar to the celebrity sense of entitlement. It's like, well, what? Yeah. We're here. And then also nobody being able to keep their mouths shut. Like, once again, this is a prime moment in historical uh, social media where they're posting stuff and they're forgetting (laughs) that anyone can see it. Like they're not like before people got totally socially media literate. Oh my God. So I found that fascinating as well. And really entertaining. I kind of didn't hold that a hundred percent against them a little bit, but I was like, Oh, that was like, we all had social media training at some point when, you know, someone came in hot with a take and you went, where did this person come from? Why is it not all my followers love me? Why is this person (laughs) having a fucking crack? You know, uh, it makes Before we all learn not to post our crime sprees online. Right. Mate, like nobody knows about the chocolate we've eaten. (laughs) And nobody keeping their mouths shut. Like, yeah, 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 we're just breaking in. And like, <laughs> yeah, that you was fun. unbelievable. What, what are you doing? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but, they, but it's right at the end when they're so comfortable with doing yeah. it. Yeah. Even, like, even just fucking opening up people's car doors. Like, yeah. why are you not locking your car doors? Yeah, what what yeah, is yeah. going on? Yeah, with drugs and cash in the glove box. It's just, uh. Like, Jesus. Like, so, that, once again, Copla not sp- specifying what she's critiquing says to me when you see these scenes, oh, that she is critiquing all of it, you yeah. know, and she's really pointing out there's something broken in this whole world, you know, where something like this could just be happening all the time. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Of course. Do you think that the very act of making this movie uh, celebrates these people and what? gives them uh, a, a, a sense of, <laughs> like uh, credibility. Uh, that's interesting. I don't think so because this seems to be the first movie that, even though I, I know I'm going to sound like I'm uh, contradicting myself, but this does feel like the first movie where, for the most part, yeah. Sophia, who has lived in this world, is kind of pointing out these kids wanting to get into it for no real reason. And I feel like there is a critique. Yeah. Nobody comes out like once again she contextualizes everything but yeah. there's there's never really anyone who comes across as where you go oh that poor person really needs you know some not to you and not to me. Well then okay so then that's an interesting uh aspect to it because now I feel like we're getting into a point where yes all right uh, the thing I was going to say, it's not actually quite right, I don't think. But 
I think people could look at this and see it as a celebration, yeah. just as people can look at that moment in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and actually think Bruce Lee was that person. 100%. Yes. And, and, and none of this is to say, ooh, you shouldn't make movies like this. No. But, you know, I used to be much more definite on one side. Yeah. Like, say, say you, again, use Wolf of Wall Street as an example, yeah. where people were like, you know, hey, maybe like maybe it's like maybe it's not great to make yeah. a three hour, uh, you know, crazy movie, which you could say condemns the guy. Yeah, I guess it does. But there's also a lot of people that watch that movie and go, "Fucking Jordan Belfort is awesome," well, and that guy's you know now got a, a, a speaker again, yes. and you know, like making shitloads of money. And the guy is scum beyond scum. Yeah, and I like The Wolf of Wall Street as right. a film. I mean, I don't know, maybe I would watch it now and be a bit ugh about it, right. but um. Yeah, it's it's just it, uh, it's interesting. Maybe it's just getting older or something. But you know, in the past, it was definitely. I rewatched Chopper recently. Okay, and it's great. Yeah, but there's also that part of my head going, it's not really condemning him. Like he's very lovable, right? And the guy's a fucking maniac. Yeah, um, and he had a pretty good career after that. Had and a great everyone, career. You know, I know heaps of people that started. You know, just referring to him as Uncle Chop Chop, Chop, Chop. and he was at the comics lounge once when yeah. I was performing there. Yeah, came up and took a photo of me. <laughs> Didn't talk to me. Took a photo of me. <laughs> you know. Good thing he's not around anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus. Like you would have been taped to a wall with strings around yeah. it and connections. Didn't say anything at the time. It was fucking chopper. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it is. It, it, so that gets into a really serious argument for another time. But what, like, how can you be careful about art? Why like, should you not make something just because in the future someone will spin it to their purpose. Totally. And I think it's, I just think it's inevitable. People love Patrick Bateman. Yes. People love Patrick Bateman. People love Gordon Gecko. You know, it's just, uh, you know, I think there is a part of people that, you know, identify with the villain. Yes. But also if the villain's got all the toys and the fucking mansions that you want, it will, you know. Yeah. People quoting greed is good as their mantra and you go, you Sorry, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I only started thinking about this because the other day I was at a gig and there was a bunch of um, finance students in the yeah. audience and I was giving them shit. And, you know, they were they were very good humoured. But at one point I started like, you know, like making Patrick Bateman references and stuff and they're clapping and cheering. They're like, yeah, we love him. Woo! Yeah. It's like some icon for them. Yeah. You know, this condemnation of hypercapitalism in, in the strongest possible terms. And these guys are using him as their poster boy. It's very yeah. fucking, fucking strange world. Anyway, the bling ring. No, no, but that is a, that's a, a fascinating question and it's a, I don't think there's a real answer no. to it because, you know, like once people turn something into something, it's, mm. it's not the artist's fault. Mm-hmm. 100%. Uh, what do you think of the fact that not only did Paris Hilton let Copler film in her actual home, but the fact she was more than happy to make an appearance? Of course. Of course. <laughs> that, that kind of sums up a lot of my things with this movie. That's what makes me laugh about yeah. it. Oh, really? Well, that's part of – so, you know, when you get back to asking me, do you think this is a celebration? This is why I don't think it is because I think that is the funniest part of the movie that Copler went <laughs> – Hey, do you want to be in the film? And she says, "Yeah, you can even film here." Yeah, Copa goes, "Great!" And then she's filming the fucking pillows. She's filming like she's yeah. like that's that's to me the subtlety of the humor of this film is that she did that. So that is Paris Hilton's house. Yes. Fuck. Okay, I didn't know that. So not only does she let them film there, she does an appearance. 
Yeah, the appearance I can see is like part of her, you know, self-serving like brand right. and like how tall right. I am. Um, but I didn't have no I thought I had no idea that's her actual house. Amazing, right? Oh, like amazing. Yuck. Yeah, and they're pretty scathing when they're in there. Oh, and and, <laughs> and I think she's being scathing as, yeah. you know, like once again, like she comes from this place as well, so mm. she gets it. Yeah. She, Copla gets this world better than any of us. Yeah. And she is like, she's not saying anything outward, but yeah. she's like going, check this out. Yeah. And then if if you're on the right wavelength with her, I think that if, if uh. you were with her watching the film and you turned around and said, what the fuck is going on here? She would go, right? <laughs> and you would, anyway, I would love to visit that home. Like, I would love to have a little I quick was, I just was convinced that was some awful set that was a horrific uh, parody of Paris Hilton. It is. And it also turns out to be a home. But on the flip side, what do you think of the Kirsten Dunst cameo? Just yeah, spinning yeah, yeah. by. Like, that to me is, like, that, that feels... I thought that was so sweet and I loved it. I thought it was inside the Copla mindset of, uh, you know, well, here's Kirsten Dunst and now she's one of these A-listers just yeah. moving through. And the conceptual continuity. Yeah. yeah. No, I, it was so small yeah. and I loved it. I have a question about what did you think of Emma Watson in this, but since you didn't know it was Emma Watson, <laughs> now I'm really confused as to what you're going to answer. <laughs> Because I thought it was Anna Kendrick. So funny. Big I don't fan. know any. There's, there's no, a no. whole genre. There's a, past a certain point in movie history, I've, I don't know who anyone is. Yeah, you know? that's funny. I, <laughs> I love her playing sexy in this because I think she does something that's really hard, which is she plays sexy uh, and she's not sexy. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, she's like to play yeah, she's kind of, uh, what you think is sexy yeah. but not sexy. Yeah. To, to not play the real thing in any emotion yeah. is a really difficult thing to pull off. Yeah. And it made me laugh so much when she's doing her <laughs> dance moves and she's licking her lips and that. And you're looking and you're going, you're just, you've got this from a hip hop clip. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing real about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Even the, even, even the tattoo on the lower back made me laugh. Like when her shirt lifted and I went, oh, she's got, she's got one of those tattoos. That is hilarious. So wait, that, that actress is Hermione from the Harry Potter movies? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I've only ever seen one Harry Potter movie. Right. So, I don't so that, that. that was a real breakthrough kind of role for her because uh, uh, so Hermione is, you know, like the smartest character yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in that world yeah. and she's – and Emma Watson's a smart person. Yeah. And so for her to be playing right. off – Key is is a funny that's thing. An, that's a similar thing that Spring Breakers did, right? Like this transgressive casting of I I, I could be talking on my ass, but I believe two of the um, women in it were ex Disney. Oh yes, people. right, right. Um, and then suddenly oh, they're yes. in this movie where they're wearing pink balaclavas. Yeah, like, <laughs> 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 it's like, what is happening here? Yeah. Uh, only a few more questions. Um, was it the right decision to make this inspired by real events, or do you think it should have been more? you know, factually correct. I, I like uh, that it's fictionalized. Yeah, it's fine. I think, uh, and I think it's keeping with Coppola's thing of just, the, you know, I, I think if you went too much with the facts, it would become too narrative based and you wouldn't get that thing that she yeah. does of just sitting in a moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do love just sitting there. Oh, yeah. So mm. I find her movies to be um, really relaxing. Yeah. <laughs> Even yeah, though, yeah, yeah. It, like, especially somewhere which I laughed all the way through and then I got to the end and I was just like, oh, yeah. I'd have a little nine eyes now. That was really nice. Um, 
By the way, at the end, were you gobsmacked that it was like $3 million worth? Yes. Yes. And in that moment, I was very uh, uh, proud of them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Good good job, guys. If you're going to do it, that's pretty outstanding. Like, I honestly thought it was going to be like, I I don't know if I'm just an idiot or I wasn't paying it proper attention, yeah. but I was honestly expecting a figure like seven or $800,000 totally. worth of stuff. Totally. And then when it was $3 million, it's like, A, I was not expecting that. B, I have no idea how this much this shit costs. And C, what a statement on all of these famous people that this went on for months and months yeah. and months and they didn't even realise, yeah, which we've already mentioned, but, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, some of those handbags, it's like, you know, $100,000 for a fucking handbag. Like, right. Wah. Yeah, that's um, seven years of gigs in in, in Australia. Uh, In the end, do you think any of these kids learn the right lessons? No, No, of course not. (laughs) The reason I ask is one of the – once again, something that I found really funny is when Mark compares what they did to Bonnie and Clyde, and that says to me either you have no idea who Bonnie and Clyde were or or, and – you're still kind of romanticising what you did, oh, even yeah. though you are a fucking young boy going to jail, which to me, even the blank look on his face at the end, I was kind of watching it and going, I feel like you should be more terrified. Uh, but uh, I, th- I think that's a deliberate statement that yeah. they're all just a bit like, oh, fuck, this is a bummer. Yeah, yeah, fighting <laughs> through life. Yeah, yeah, And, you know, and I think that, that the real people would be very chuffed that there's a movie. Yeah. You know, and that would actually feed the kind of like, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. We, you know, we're yeah. immortal. Yeah, it's like. We're the bling ring. Yeah, we're the fucking bling ring, Bonnie mate. and Clyde and then there's the bling ring. Yeah, it's um, it's like making fun of someone and then they come up to you after the gig and they say, hey, yeah, I'm here. Yeah. And you go, uh, are we in trouble? Oh, no, you're buying me drinks. Okay. <laughs> oh, you thought I was joking. Yeah. No, none of this makes sense. I'll take the drink, thank you. Actually, make it the top shelf, Scotch. Uh could this be a TV series? Uh, it could be. I wouldn't watch it. <laughs> this is how I'd do it. I'd make it uh, a cross between the OC uh, with Breaking Bad and the kids are just constantly breaking into different homes each season and it escalates and escalates. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, the, like the last few episodes would be, you know, getting finally caught. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And then you could have... Um, then my my quote for it, which I wrote down, which made me really happy, which will only really connect with true fans of Breaking Bad. I'm the one who knocks, then walks in if the door is open. <laughs> anyway, sometimes jokes are just for certain people, and if you enjoyed that joke, you're welcome. <laughs> you could escalate that series. At the end of season one, they accidentally kill someone. Oh, like, you know. You know there's a lot of places you could go with oh, it. Yeah, well, no, I wouldn't, mate, that is. Well, maybe you depending on how many series you get, like that is, that's the game changer moment. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Where it's still kind of yeah. teen fun. Yeah. They're all getting along. Oh, now he's sleeping with her and oh, he's coming out and oh, all those kind oh of teen God. stories. And then suddenly, you know, yeah. like it goes from being, a you know, the OC to, fuck, this has gone into Lynch territory. What the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> suddenly they're putting a body in a, in a bath and they're <laughs> dissolving it. They're doing it at Paris Hilton's house. <laughs> uh, any final thoughts? Mm. But you, do you feel like maybe in hindsight you enjoyed it a little bit better or you're still pretty locked into it just being Look, not it, for you? it just wasn't for me. That's yeah. all right. You thought it was good though, like uh, a well-made film? Yeah, it's, a well, it's, it's yeah. well-made. She hasn't, yeah. she, everything that she does is, that I've seen so far has been an excellent example of filmmaking. This yeah. one just didn't ring my bell. Yeah. But that's okay because the next one – 
is a big favourite. Yeah, great, great. And uh, so what are you? You're like three out of the five you've enjoyed so far. What do we got? I love Virgin Suicides. So, I love Lost in Translation. You love Somewhere. I love Somewhere. And Marie Antoinette, you convinced me on that one. Right. I've thought a lot about Marie Antoinette since we had that conversation. Yeah. I don't think there is as – I think of the two, I think Marie Antoinette is better than The Bling Ring. Yes, I agree with that. I still really enjoyed The Bling Ring yeah. and I thought it was funny and, uh, you know, I think maybe – I think maybe her capacity to step back and let you – project mm. and engage doesn't quite work as well on this one. No. And uh, as I said, I kind of worked for this. Yeah. Like I worked watching it to really kind of get into it and understand it. And even, uh, you know, I mentioned to you before when I write questions for uh, all these movies that we watch, this is one of the harder ones just to find a few extra yeah. angles on that yep. uh, differentiated from previous podcasts and within the context of this podcast from yep. each other as well. Uh, just a few squid bits. Uh, interestingly enough, not much stuff, you know, to kind of look up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the article uh, that this is all based on. The Vanity on Fair article. Is, is really uh, the... It's Nancy Joe Sales' Vanity Fair 2010 article. The suspects wore Louboutin. What's, what's Louboutin? It's a style of. Oh, okay, uh, right, yeah, right, right, right. So yeah. it is a. Um, it's worthwhile reading. It's yeah. a really yeah. interesting and funny uh, article. So uh, I've already told you that the scene at Paris Hilton's house was actually filmed in a real home. <laughs> Just so good. Uh, prior to shooting, Coppola got the cast to fake burglar house to see what mistakes they would make. Uh, Kirsten Dunst's cameo wasn't in the script. It was incorporated after she visited the set. And that, that's that's part of my enjoyment of it. Yeah. I, I like seeing it pop up. Yeah. I like the statement of, oh, here's this girl that was so young and now look at her. She's yeah. she's kind of yeah, this. Of but you know what nobody does? Breaks into her house and steals shit because she probably locks her doors. Um <laughs> Copla considered yeah. cutting the dialogue-free, very slow zoom-in shot of the robbery of Audrina's glass house. That was the one Why? from the distance. Why? That's the best shot in the whole movie. I don't know. But the cinematographer, Harris Savides, uh, convinced her to keep it in. So That's great. It's, I wonder if, yeah, who knows, right? Like just having a moment of doubt or whatever, yeah, I'd love yeah. to know why yeah. you even consider because it's, it's arresting. Oh, and especially she's not um, shy in putting in a long sequence of right. of a locked-off shot. We saw that in the last movie. Right. Um, this was also the last film by cinematographer Harry, Harris Savides, who became ill halfway through shooting. Uh, Christopher Blavel was brought in to complete the film and they shared the credits. Uh, Emma Watson watched a ton of reality TV uh, from <laughs> that era, so from the hills, keeping up with the Kardashians, uh, which yeah, was on yeah. its way and pretty wild, to get perfect her body language and how she acted around people. Ugh. So uh, she's also said that she hates herself in this movie. And at the time, I don't know if she had subsequently, but at the time said, I don't know if I can watch this film because she hated her character oh, so much. Taking on those traits and having to be that oh. person for the, so, so many months. Ugh. Yeah, so Could funny. Have to do an exorcism after it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Coppola had lunch several times with real-life convicted bling ring burglar Nick Frank Prugo, who is the inspiration for Mark. I don't think he's seen it. Some of the people had real issues uh, with the way they were kind of portrayed, but, you know, superficial 
criticisms because they are superficial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the girl that uh, I've, can't find it here, um, but the girl who Emma Watson was kind of playing a, a, a version of yeah. uh, introduced herself at a party. So it gets back to, yeah, yeah, you know, I'd be just mortified. Oh, no, it's there is no there is no shame anymore, yeah. you know. Yeah. If you can find fame in any way, go for it. Yeah. And the, the last two things that I thought you might find interesting, our girl uh, that we like, Chloe. Yeah. Played by Claire Julian. She is the daughter of Wally Pfister, who is the American cinematographer who worked on Nolan's movies from Memento up until The Dark Knight Rises. She had a role, a very small role, in The Dark Knight Rises, hasn't acted since. And it's a shame because I Really? I thought she had real presence. And it's funny. She's great. Yeah, it's funny. We both, you know, the character that stood out to us. She's in a corner for in many ways for yeah, a lot of the yeah, film, yeah. but uh, I thought she had a natural charisma. I thought she was funny, you know, and did a lot with not much. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, I think all the acting's really good. I think the young girl who plays uh, Rebecca is as the lead is yeah. really good. Yeah, I think yeah, that yeah. boy's fantastic. Mm. So, and uh, we'll finish on this. And this just made me laugh as a thing to look up. This is uh, Copeland's third film to feature pole dancing. <laughs> So there you go. Wait, oh wait, uh, lost in translation and um, somewhere, somewhere. And this. Oh yeah, there yeah. you go. Oh, there's a theme. There's a theme. Feet and pole dancing. Oh, I hope she makes a movie about pole dancing, like the history of pole dancing or something like a Ken, that. A Ken Burns ten hour uh, documentary for series. Yeah, and um, fingers crossed, we'll get a pole dancing scene in the Beguiled. <laughs> That brings us to the end of today's podcast. Things have never been more busy, (laughs) to be honest. It's just been so full on and I can't wait to talk more about this stuff in the next few months. But yes, anyway, there's just some things I can't talk about at the moment, but there will be a stage when I can and you'll be the first to know about it. I don't like keeping you in the dark. In the meantime, you can also hear me on this week's Fofop with Will Anderson, which is really fun, especially there's two moments where Will has to go and sort out the dog. So I'm riding solo. It's almost like a a taste of big squid in the middle of Fofop. Uh, If you're enjoying everyone's work here, please let my guests know online that you enjoy their work. You can find them on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It just means so much. I've seen people doing it. I can't thank you enough. It's just a really nice thing to do and I really appreciate it. Also, if you have the time and inclination, a top review on Apple Podcasts for Big Squid would be greatly appreciated, but I know you're busy. So, you know, if you do, that's great. And if you don't, that is completely fine as well. Let's finish with a quote from Emma Watson. It's a journey, and the sad thing is you only learn from experience. So as much as someone can tell you things, you have to go out there and make your own mistakes in order to learn. Until then.
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.